Well, I want to welcome you to the Left Behind Already of the Aliyah Day uh, series on Parsha Korach. I am uh, getting the privilege to do the first through fifth reading for this Torah portion. And uh, I know I've done a Korach PSI already, uh, please source it uh, segment. But I want to go ahead and just kind of share some more things that I've found as I've opened up the Midrash Says and the Midrash Tankuma and the uh, Balhaturim. So I want to get into that for just a moment and uh, just kind of share some compilation of notes that I found. So first thing up in the Balhaturim says Vayikach Korach, which is Korach took. It says the Torah juxtaposed Korah's Korach, the Korach's challenge of Moshe's authority. So Korach's challenge of Moshe's authority is juxtaposed to the passage of Sitzi. So even if you just look at that, just kind of doing a little remez to it. Okay, so we have this section of the Torah is against this section. So this account. So the account of Korach is against the passage and the account of Zitzit. So Korach is going against the Zitzit. And Korach is going against Moshe. So just want to throw out there that uh, Korach going against Moshe is Korach challenging Zitzit. And we know who the Zitzit represent, namely Mashiach Yeshua, but anyway, continuing, it says, with the passage concerning Zitzit, Bami Bar 15, 37 through 41, because it was with regard to Zitzit that he contended against Moshe. Tankuma 2 brings down what is written before the passage of Korach, the passage regarding Zitzit. Korach sprang up and said to Moshe, You said, and they shall place upon the zitzit of each corner a thread of techelet. If a garment is woven entirely of techelet, side note, the Midrash brings down that his wife made these garments. So she was a busy bee, okay, just weaving up a bunch of stuff, okay? <clears throat> but anyway, so these techelet garments, it says that if the Garment is woven entirely of techelet. Is it not exempt from the obligation of zitzit? Moshe replied, it requires zitzit. Korach then said to him, how is this possible? A garment that is worn entirely of techelet does not fulfill the mitzvah. Yet four strands of techelet, one on each other, do. Korach continued with a similar argument. He's like, you know, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this. <clears throat> Korach continued with a similar argument. 
If a house is filled with Torah scrolls, is it not exempt from the obligation of mezuzah? Moshe replied, it requires a mezuzah. Then he said to them, said to him, how is this possible? With a complete Torah of 275 parashiot, one does not fulfill the mitzvah. Yet, two of these parashot on the doorposts do. By the way, some editions read that 278 Torah portions are there. There are 278 Torah portions, which is interesting. But uh, continuing on, it says, uh, Thus concluded Korach, It is clear that God did not command you regarding these matters. In other words, Moshe, you are MSU. You are making stuff up. It goes on to say, <clears throat> They are the products of your own imagination. Therefore, the Torah states, Vayichach, Korach, which is Korach took, for the expression of Vayichach implies that his heart took him aside. How many times have you heard people say, but God knows my heart? How many times have we said that? And by the way, is not our heart known as being uh, deceitfully wicked? You know, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, let's look at that verse. Let's look at, you know, we're going to please source it. All right. So. Heart. What's our heart like, right? Yeah. Yermi Yahoo seventeen nine. You wanna talk about your heart, right? This is what happens when you're led by your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well guess what? The next verse says I Hashem search the heart, I examine the mind. To reward a man according to his way, by what his deeds deserve. So in other words, who can do it? Hashem. Uh, if you're not Hashem, you will not be able to understand your heart. Says, to what, to what does your heart take you? Job 15, 12. And it says... And it caused him to rebel, cited in part by Rashi, and you can also see Tractate Sanhedrin 110a. So his heart is the issue here. He has a heart issue. <clears throat> and then we have another bring down from Bahaturim on the same phrase. The Gematria is 432, equal to that of Ze. Be Michach Ra. This refers to a bad acquisition. In similar vein, the gematria of the verse Kohelet 512, Ecclesiastes, Kohelet 512, it says, Riches hoarded by their owner to his misfortune. And it says, So the gematria of that verse is 1970 which equals to that of 
Le Oshro Shel Korak Le Rato Haya. This refers to Korak's wealth. It was to his misfortune. The Talmud cites the verse from Kohelet as a prelude to the discussion about Korak's wealth, then goes on to explain how he became so rich after amassing all the silver and gold of the world. That's ridiculous. That's in Bereshit 47, 14 and 4157. So amassed all the gold and silver. Who did that? Yosef. Says Yosef concealed three treasures in Mitzrayim. One was later revealed to Korak. One was revealed to Antoninus, son of Severus, which is a Roman emperor who studied Torah under Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. See what happens when you study Torah? Even if you're a Roman doing that, you could come across beautiful treasures. Anyway. See Avoda Zera 10b and 11a, cited by Rashi to Bereshit 25:23, and it says, "And one is hidden away for the righteous to claim in the future." Again, Tractate Sanhedrin 110a and Tractate Pesachim 119a. Korak was super rich, so he was just like, "You know what? I'm gonna rebel." By the way. It goes on to say the Targum Yonatan paraphrases verse 19 below. Korak gathered the entire assembly against them. The them being Moshe and Aharon at the, at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Says he exalted himself with his honor. For he was found for he found two of the storehouses that Yosef had filled with silver and gold. So he only found two of the uh the storehouses. That's all he found, like two. So imagine how rich Yosef was, right? So uh it goes on to say and okay, so because the thing about this, we're talking about Yosef, right? I'm talking about the one who had every right in the world to be angry and bitter and have an agenda and take over the world. As rich as he was, he decided, you know what? I want to save the world. I want to bring the world into covenant. I want to reconcile for my brothers. I, you know, I want to. I want to take care of my family. I want to ensure that the Jews exist in the world and that they make it out of Egypt. I think that's like just incredible to think about as rich as Joseph was, that was never a snare or an entrapment to him. And furthermore, he used it to further Hashem's legacy up on the earth, namely Yiddishkeit. Goes on to say, that he found two of the storehouses that Yosef filled with silver and gold. He sought to use the wealth to banish Moshe and Aaron from the world. He wanted to banish Moshe and Aaron from the world. Think about that for a moment. Who is Moshe and who is Aaron? Moshe brings Torah down. Aaron brings people to Torah. So in other words, let's use materiality to wipe out the Torah. That was Korach's goal. 
going on to say that, and he may have succeeded had not the glory of God appeared to the entire assembly. So we're looking at some Tower of Babel stuff, you know, because had Hashem not interceded in that, we probably would have been successful in the Tower. You know, when you think about Hashem intervening, it's just like, well, this was going to go down until Hashem said, but no, we will not. So that was kind of cool just looking at that. And then also there's this whole thing about him taking 250 people with him. And it says, the lamp of the wicked shall flicker out. This is verse 2 from Baha Turing. Proverbs 24.20 and Job 21.17 goes on to say, They summoned them, which the word kerie, which is they summoned. It says this term is spelled defectively without the central yod, for they transgressed the Ten Commandments. And it says in the footnote, Perush Harukiach to 26.9 below, where it is expounded that their defiance against that which God commanded Moshe, see note six above, was tantamount to denying the first of the Ten Commandments. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? Why don't we read it? We're going to go to Shemot chapter 20. What does it say? Verse 2. Anoki Hashem your God. So I wrote myself down and gave it to you. So Hashem manifest in written form. I am your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. Stop. That's the first commandment. Okay, so think about that with Galatians 5. Which, what does Galatians 5 say? Because remember, we're brought out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, right? Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Mashiach has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not be encumbered once more by a yoke of slavery. Many people teach that the yoke of slavery is the law of God. Hashem teaches the yoke of slavery is Egypt. So think about that for a second. It's like, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the serpent or are you going to listen to Hashem? But as right Hashem, the answer is yes. But with all that being said, Korach's assembly is all about denying the entire Torah. The entire Torah is found in the Ten Commandments, by the way. That's why if you take 613, 6 plus 1 plus 3, number of commandments, you have 10. And in the Ten Commandments, you find the 613. And the 613, you can collapse them down to 10. This is why it's important to note this dialogue here, according to Jewish commentary, because you can also collapse them down to 2 and collapse them down to 1. And what is that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your resources. And you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So those are the two. And then what's the one? Shema Yisrael. Hear and obey Hashem. I.e. today hear His voice. I.e. Naseh Nishma. We will do, then we will hear. Whatever Hashem says, that's what happens. The word for 
Anshe Shem, men of renown, says they were renowned for their wisdom, yet they became as deserving of punishment in Gehenna as the generation of the flood, who are described with the phrase, who from of old were men of renown, Bereshit 6.4. Goes on to say, the literal meaning of Anshe Hashem is men of the name, i.e. men of renown. Rashi in a secondary interpretation to Bereshit 6.4, Genesis 6.4, renders the phrase Anshe Shema'on, men of desolation, for they laid the world desolate. Perhaps Baal Haturim interprets Anshe Shem in a similar manner, for these 250 men were laid waste. That's from the Vechur Lazahav. So, want to go right from there. That was Midrash. Um, that, no, that was uh, Baal Haturim. He cited the Midrash Tankuma, but now we're going to go ahead and uh, cite the Midrash Tankuma. Uh, we're going to go over here and look at the Makalogit. I have a file titled Makalogit, which is the word for dispute. This is from the Midrash Tankuma Korak 8. It says, Our masters have taught four types of people are called wicked. The one who extends his hand against his companion to strike him. Even though he did not actually strike him, he is called wicked as it is stated in Shemot 2.13. So he said to the wicked one, why would you strike your comrade? Did you strike? Is not written here, but would you strike? The one who borrows and does not repay. This is number two. As in Tehillim 37.21. The wicked person borrows but does not repay. Number three, the ins the one who has an insolent face but does not feel shame from someone greater than himself, as it is stated in Mishle twenty one twenty nine. A person puts on a brazen face, and the one who is the author of dissension is number four. As stated in Bami Bar sixteen twenty six, please move away from the tent of these wicked men. Now, two of these traits were in Datan and Aviram, i.e. the insolent face and the dissension, which the word for dissension in Hebrew is Machlokit. Machlokit, which is the word dissension, is interpreted through its letters. The Mem is for Mara, bitter. So if you come across a person who's bitter, chances are they probably don't have anything good to say. Furthermore, the next letter, the Chet, is for Haron, anger. So if they're bitter and angry, up in the ante a little bit, probably don't have anything good to say. Add in the Lamed. Now you got the word Lokin, which is the word for lash, people who lash out. So they're bitter, they're angry, and they lash out. We're not done yet. The Kuf is the word Kelala, the word for curse. So now they curse. Now they have bad, bad speech. Curse words, swear words, uh, condemning words, and things like that. So, not good. And finally, the letter Tav, the word for Toeva, which is abomination, which is used of unkosher food. So now, it goes on to say, but some say that the Tav stands for Taklit, 
which means end. Since dissension brings annihilation to the world. So, got the four types of people called wicked plus the traits of a Maklogit. This right here is a double don't get you some that is just like, wow. Not not today. It's not what we do around here. Want to quote to you from Love Pools by Zavi Freeman Shlita. This was cited by Taoz, our Avenger. Uh, so she posted this and it was really cool. So I wanted to share it. it says there is only one way to bring people closer to Torah. Whether your friend, your spouse, your child or a complete stranger. It is not with rebuke. It is not with arguments, not with intellectual games, but by drawing them with thick ropes of love, you know, like the one that uh, Rehav used to lower Caleb and Pinchas down from her window, you know, back in the Haftarah of Parashah Shalak. That scarlet cord she also used to put on the doorpost at the command of Kalev and Pinchas, put this on your doorpost so that your house will be passed over. Pretty much. <laughs> so that, that, that rope there, it was either a, a thread or it was a rope. And the Midrash brings down, it was yes, because it turned into a rope to lower down the men. And it was also a thread to put on the doorpost. And it's amazing because that's how our love needs to be. Our love needs to fit the the moment needed at the time you know sometimes we're going to need our love to be a thick rope and sometimes we just need a little bit of love on the door just to show people hey we're good we're cool people can pick up by the way if you're cool with them or if you're not you know it's like our little sonar abilities that we seem to have as humans some people are more aware of it than others that's why you know if you're not aware of it and someone creeps you out you just get real irritable around them as opposed to go, no, I just, there, there's something about this person that's not right. And, uh, you know, it's this or whatever. So we just kind of go with, uh, you get worked up, you get angry, you get sweaty palm, all that kind of stuff. Well, you're picking up on something. So anyway, uh, it goes on to say thick ropes of love by showing your faith in who they are in word and in deed. A lot of times, when we look at our divine sparks that we're gathering in, we're not always going to be able to see, you know, the fullness of the potential of their character, you know, which is why through our ministering to them, just showing them love, showing them kindness, showing them courtesy, showing them respect, sharing whatever uh, chips of Torah that we can with them, you know, that that's where the work comes in of the revelation because Hashem is going to pull back those layers, you know, hey. You ever want to light candles or, hey, would you ever like a piece of challah? Hey, would you like to come to shul? Hey, would you like to listen to the Aliyah Day? Have you ever heard about this? Send it to them, you know, or just being nice, opening the door for somebody. There are so many different ways that Hashem has given. That's why the, the Torah is so awesome, because it teaches you how to engage in the material world to reveal the spiritual so that's a whole nother reason why you can't just stay hidden out studying, can't just stay hidden out praying. You know, you got to be out there. You got to go to work. You got to drive in traffic. You got to go to the grocery store. 
You know, you got to go hang out with friends and family because you get opportunities to do mitzvot at that point. You're fulfilling all the mitzvot by studying, correct, but you're not bringing any divine revelation into the world. Obviously, if you're a teacher, if you teach it, you know, some kind of way, whatever medium you use, sing, art, you know, dance, you know, whatever kind of thing. There's all so many different ways on that. But yeah, you're not really revealing anything by just studying. You're not revealing anything in creation by just praying. You're making connections and all that, but it's not it's not revealed. Uh, the other thing I want to bring down here is um, a drop from G. Shekel Shlita on Parsha Balak talking about Aza and Azael, these two angels from Bereshit 6 that were the progenitors of the Nephilim. It says, once they descended, the Yetzirah entered them and overcame them as well. As it is written, they took which is any of or many of them as wives for themselves from whomever they chose. Bereshit 6.2 Indiscriminate, non-devoted, non-committed relationships. They just elicit affairs everywhere. Oh, this girl's cute. Let me, okay, that one's cute. Okay. And it's just like on and on and on and on and on. Non-stop. And you got two individuals doing this. So it's just kind of like a free-for-all of immorality and lusts and all that kind of stuff. Now, these two were on the same team of the angels in Shemaim that were like, Hashem, I can't believe you're going to make man. Man is not like they're going to sin and we could do better, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, if you can do better, then, you know, go ahead, give it a shot. Azza and Azael were the ones who took the, took the opportunity to do that. And uh, we see how that worked out. So this is why it's a good point for us to understand our, our situation versus someone else's situation. We can't ever go, man, I don't know why that person isn't getting it. I mean, I got here and I'm getting it. You know, I came in the Sar Shalom or I came in the Lapid or I've been watching the Aliyah Day and I've learned this, this and this. You know, my life has changed. I've transformed. That person's been doing this even longer than I have, and they haven't transformed. I've uh, learned more than them. I've seen them mature faster than them. I pick up on things quicker than them. If you ever find yourself getting into that mentality, you need to go back and think about Azza and Azael because you're being overcome by the Yetzirah as soon as these words come out of our mouth. So all of us have to realize this. This is why a little bit of humility goes a long way. If we keep away from lording ourselves over other people looking down on other people this is going to be a safeguard for us you know give people their own space and their own journey you know uh so mazel shlita was giving her bat mitzvah drosh on parsha korak back in 2016 we got video footage of it it was legit so as she was droshing she brought down this thing that says, you know, be comfortable with who you are. Don't try to live somebody else's life and journey. Like, don't try to steal their stuff thinking that it's better than yours, you know, and vice versa, by the way. So just to tag on to what she said, you think somebody else has it and you're like, man, I want to be in their role. 
my life sucks. And it's just like, okay, so that's one thing. Don't do that because just because somebody else's journey seems better than yours, you haven't even seen what your journey is. Give yourself that time for Hashem to show that out. And furthermore, if someone else, you're like, I'm glad I don't have their journey. Same thing on that. To to not, you don't need to covet either one or not covet the one. You know, like, I'm so glad I'm not that person or I'm, I want to be that person. Like, neither one of those paths is a is a go. So it's all a lie to think, abandon my journey for the sake of trying to walk in someone else's footsteps. So stay in your lane, basically, is what I took away from that drop. To which I want to share with Ish Hasid Shlita uh, shared uh, over here. Let's see where this is at here. Um, I think it's on Brugashem. It is from the Hebrew alphabet, a mystical, or the Hebrew alphabet, a mystical journey by Edward Hoffman. Goes on to say here on page 36. Which, by the way, is all about the number of Zadikim in every generation. There are 36 hidden Zadikim in every generation. The people who are just like, yeah, like they're on a whole nother level. Like Rabbi Shimeon Bar Yokai stuff, the writer of the Zohar. Anyway, goes on to say, no, you know what? I'll break it down. I'll tell you about it. You know, we're doing leftovers anyway, or the left behinds. So if you look at the number 36... Wisdom of the numbers here. It says this. In every generation there is said to exist 36 people, 36 righteous people. Traditionally, these pious individuals are said to be hidden from the public eye. Still, they continue to exist through the annals of time in each generation. Their presence continues even after the temple's destruction and the discernible absence of the Shekinah. Because you know the Shekinah is hidden, right? Like, among us in exile. Anyway, Tractate Megillah talks about that. says, uh, it follows that this group of 36 Zadikim corresponds to the 36 lights of the Orhaga News. Which, uh, by the way, the hidden lights. A little footnote on that. Orhaga News. Bereshit Rabbah 11.2, Pasikta Rabati 46. Let's see if we can look that up real quick. Pasikta Rabati. What you got? Pasikta. I think we have that in our files. Yeah, Prasita Rabati. Look at that. By William G. Broad. B-R-A-U-D-E. So this is from 1968. From New Haven in London, Yale University Press. So let's see if uh, the thing is getting this thing to pull up. Okay, there we go. Uh, 46. Do we have a 46?
Look at that. Brugersham. Um Scanning for uh, the hidden light for a second. It's just a few pages here. It's a really cool source. So, Hakadosh Baruchu, may you illuminate my eyes to find this drop. Talking about Hanukkah. Feel like that's close. When we're looking at Hanukkah, by the way, which is all about the rededication of the temple and getting it back from the Greeks, um, that is a beautiful uh, illustration of the Orhaka news. This is why we don't benefit from the light of the Hanukkah, because that represents the hidden light. <clears throat> which we know is the light of Mashiach. So there's that. I'm wondering if I can do a uh, search on this thing. Let's see. It's got a little search button. Look up hidden light. Okay, hidden light doesn't pop up. What about hidden? Couple of places. Let's see here. So that for your patience. You know, one of the things about sourcing things out is it takes a minute, right? <laughs> You're just like, all right, I was so ready for this to be found like a long time ago. But, you know, take your time, source things out. It's really cool to be able to do that. Uh, face of the hidden. Hidden on this. God's face is hidden. There's only 10 things. So we've gone through three of them so far. Hiding our transgressions. That's good. Uh, is this it? Pisca 37 says that the Holy One, blessed be he, will put upon Ephraim, our true Mashiach, a garment whose splendor will stream forth from the world's end to world's end. And Yisrael will make use of his light and say, blessed is the hour in which he was created. Blessed is the womb whence he came. 
Blessed is the generation whose eyes behold him. Blessed is the eye which yearned and waited for him, whose lips open with blessing and shalom, whose speech is pure delight, whose heart meditates in and trust and tranquility. Blessed is the eye which merits seeing him, the utterance of whose tongue is pardon and forgiveness of Yisrael, whose prayer is a sweet savior, whose supplication is purity and holiness. Blessed are the forebearers of the man who merited the goodness of the world, the Mashiach hidden for the eternity to come. So Mashiach is going to be in the likeness of man. That's totally here. Okay, so not having any success here on finding the hidden light or Haganus and Pisca Berkashim. All right, so maybe that wasn't important, but uh, Rikishim. So the Orhaka News is the hidden light. Uh, by the way, it says that uh, the Orhaka News here, the illumination of the 36 lights of Hanukkah was to draw out and tap into the Orhaka News in the natural world. This was specifically accomplished through the light of the Torah Shebeal Pei, which is the Oral Torah. So the closest thing we have to really being in the light of the Or Haganus is the Oral Torah, which is the lights of the Hanukkah. So going on to say that their shared characteristics include an unswerving dedication to the Torah as the mainstay of existence and preservation of its inner light, it is up to these concealed 36 righteous people to draw the light out of the darkness and reveal it to the world and still another exercise of hide and seek. One historical affiliation between 36 and the righteous is evident in the 36 casualties suffered by the Israelites at the battle of Ai in their conquest of the Holy Land According to one opinion, the loss of 36 refers to the single death of Ya'er ben Menashe. He was as great as 36 judges, which constitutes the number majority of the 70-member court of Sanhedrin. It is noteworthy that the meaning of his name, Ya'er, is he will illuminate also relates to the symbolism of or which is light so the illuminators okay so back over here to the journey from ish hasid slita it says with the right attentiveness we can perceive the nature of that unity and thereby resolve conflicts this is talking about the letter vav we can perceive the nature of that unity, which, by the way, is called a higher unity. So we can have a higher unity with each other if we are attentive to it. And when we can perceive that, we'll resolve a lot of conflicts. It says the straight, upright form of the Vav additionally suggests that only when a person expresses uniqueness 
can a meaningful joining with others occur? Otherwise, the effort at linkage is superficial, weak, and ultimately doomed to failure. As Baal Shem Tov aptly advised, never seek to imitate the spiritual path of another. Baal Shem Tov aptly advised, never seek the Never seek to imitate the spiritual path of another. If you do so, if you try to do so, not only will you fail in fulfilling your own path, but you will not do as well as the task meant for your neighbor. To strengthen your sense of interconnection and your actual social network in daily life, Meditate upon the letter Vav. So, Korak is the son of Yitzar, which is the son of Kahat, which is the son of Levi, right? So, let's break this down. Korak means baldness. It also means frost. In Bereshit 31.40, in the Journey Through Genesis series, we read about what Yaakov said he endured. He said, I was consumed by heat during the day and consumed by Korok during the night and my feel or and sleep fled from my eyes. So ve Kerak. So Kerak is the way to say snow. In Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer 3, it says, whence was the earth created? He took of the snow or ice, so Kerach, which was beneath his throne of glory. Did you know that Korach carried the ark? He was considered to be snow at the base of Hashem's throne. So Hashem's throne being the ark, because he says, that's where my presence rests. It's the mercy seat. Okay. And Hashem's throne in Shemaim is directly above the Holy of Holies in the temple and also uh, in the Mishkan. So when you're looking at this, Korok was like the snow that's talked about here. But he was like, no, nah, that's not good enough. Actually, I don't want a throne. If there is a throne, I want to make it myself and I want to sit on it. So there's that. But anyway, it goes on to say, that the snow was beneath the throne of glory and Hashem threw it up on the waters and the waters became congealed so that the dust of the earth was formed as it is stated he said to the snow be you earth Job 37.6 Bami Bar Rabbah 18.3 says and Korach took what is written right before this matter and make for them zitzit you know, Zitzit are white too, right? So it goes on to say, Shemot 15. So if you look at your Zitzit with the strand of Tehillah in it, you basically are surrounded by the throne of Hashem, which I think is pretty amazing because we're supposed to surround the throne of Hashem. Hashem is like, okay, Mita Kanega Mita. You know, I'll surround you, so you surround me. So the Tehillah in the Zitzit represents the throne of glory. The snow around the Tehillit or the white strings around the Tehillit string is like the snow that's around the throne of Hashem. 
So you have Hashem's throne pictured around us. So when we look at the throne of Hashem, it's like looking into the Torah, which is looking at our own reflection, telling us that we need to be who Hashem made us to be. Going on to say in this Bami Barabah, it says that Korach jumped on this and said to Moshe, a talit that is all techelet, made entirely of blue strings. What is the ruling? Is it exempt from zitzit? Moshe said to him, it needs zitzit. Korach said to him, a talit that is all techelet, does not make itself exempt, but four threads, if a blue or uh, but four threads of blue make it okay. So in other words, you have one string on each corner that's blue. So just by having four of those on each corner, that makes it okay. But my whole talit is made from blue. Moshe's like, yeah, you got Pazizid on it. And he goes on to say, a house full of Torah scroll. And again, there was ever no acknowledgement of like, okay, you know, sourced out, boom, ZZ, take care of. It's like, no, no, no. Let's talk about something else real quick. So this is always the telltale thing because so many times people want to shoot you down for stuff and say like, no, you know, we shouldn't eat kosher today or, you know, we shouldn't separate meat and dairy or, you know, you don't have to keep the Shabbat. Torah's done away with all that kind of stuff. So they want to try to pick apart Judaism, observance and all that, but they never ever acknowledge when a point is, uh, is spoken forth. Like, in other words, Korach never acknowledged, okay, Bami Bar 15, passage of ZZ says this. Korach was like, okay, well then, how about a house full of Torah scrolls? Does it need a mezuzah? It's like, did you did you not just hear about the ZZ? Which, by the way, if you look at this mezuzah drop, going on to that, and it will come back to tie this up, says a talit, or it's like a, a house that is full of Torah scrolls, what is the ruling? Is it exempt from a mezuzah? Moshe said to him, it needs a mezuzah. Korach said to him that the entire Torah, 275 sections, does not make a house exempt from a mezuzah, but one section makes the house okay? Korach said to him, these matters, you were not commanded about them from God, but from your own mind, you added them. So it says, and Korach took, and he took this language is always about divisions that his mind took him astray which is why Bahaturim says it was his heart that him astray things only get into your mind when they come from your heart so yeah and that's kind of convicting because our thoughts right that means it's a sign of uh, some stuff going on in our heart <clears throat> but anyway so to tie this up here pun intended we got the whole garment of Tehelet, and it's like, put Zizid on it. We got a whole house full of Torah scroll, put a mezuzah on it. Korak is trying to go about <clears throat> circumventing the whole issue of you need to follow the commandment. And he's trying to figure out a way to manipulate it so that it's like, well, if I do it this way, I don't have to follow the commandment. You know, so other people will be like, well, instead of just separating meat and dairy, you know, they'll try to find some other thing to do. You know, this is why the whole thing of, well, what if you take goat cheese and put it on a hamburger? Because that way, you know, the cheese isn't from the milk of the cow. It's actually from the, the goat. 
produce. Or I can take regular cheese and put it on a goat burger, you know, and it's like trying to separate it and divide it out and be like, but you're still putting cheese on meat. And it's like, well, the Torah doesn't really say don't put cheese on meat. So, I mean, what are you talking about? And here's the whole reason why you have to understand that the Torah and the oral Torah are one. You know, they're together in this. So you can't just look at the written Torah and disregard the oral as well as you can't look at the oral Torah and disregard the written. Like you have nothing if you get rid of bo- if you get rid of one or the other, but you have everything if you have them both together. So Sefer Ha'Hinuk ha- three eighty six on the the Zitzit, the Gematria of three eighty six by the way is Yeshua. So it says that the root of the commandment is revealed in the verse. It is in order that we always remember all of the commandments. So if you're looking at Yeshua, he should be helping us to remember the commandments, which is really cool because that's what he is. That's what he does. Yeshua is the Torah. So therefore, if we're looking at Yeshua, we're looking at the Torah, which is like looking at our ZZ. Going on to say, and there is no better reminder in the world than carrying the seal of the master on the clothes that one wears at all times. As a person is always attentive to his clothes, you know, you're always like adjusting your shirt, fixing your pants, you know, making sure your shoes are tied, you know, make sure you keep his own straight, you know, kind of stuff, right? And we're always looking like all my buttons buttoned up in my button up shirt, you know. Then it goes on to say, and this is what is stated in the verse, Bar 1539, and you will recall all the commandments of Adonai. And they, may their memory be blessed, said in the Midrash Tankuma, Korach 12, that the word zitzit alludes to the 613 commandments and numerical equivalent of the letters, i.e. gematria. The gematria of zitzit alludes to the 613 commandments. It says, when combined with the eight strings of the fringes and their five knots, that's how you get 613, the commandment, or the word zitzit, is 600 in Gematria. And then you add in the five knots and the eight strings on each corner. So, ZZ plus one corner of the garment of ZZ equals 613. Because remember, you're looking at, you know, whatever one you find at the time. Because many of us, our ZZ are all over the place. So, it's like, you find one of the ZZ, look at it. You know, we don't always grab all four of them and look at it. The only time we do that, by the way, is during the Shema. That's another thing. So to finish up here, it says, And my heart also tells me there is a reminder and illusion here that the soul and body of man all belong to God, Baruch Hu. As the white portion corresponds to the body, which is from the land, which was made from the snow, which is white, as we find in Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer 3. From where is the land? It says, from the snow that is under the holy throne. And the threads also allude to the body as the matter that they said in the initial formation of a body is like threads. Its two thighs are like two strands of crimson, two forearms like two strands of 
crimson. The blue tachelet, appearance of which is the is like the appearance of the sky, hence to the soul, which is from the upper beings. And they hinted to this in their saying in Menachot 47b, what makes tachelet different than all other colors? Because tachelet is like the sea, the sea is like the sky, the sky is like the throne of glory. As it is stated, Shemot, which is Exodus 24, 10. And they saw the God of Israel, etc. And it states in Yehezkiel, Ezekiel 1, The throne appeared as sapphire stone and the souls of the righteous are stored underneath the throne. And because of this, they said, Menachot 39a, that we wrap the string of Tehillit around the white as the soul is above and below the body. And it goes on to say that they said, we make seven or 13 windings around the white strings to allude to the heavens and the divisions between them. And it is said in Minicode 39a, it is taught one who wishes to do fewer should not do fewer than seven, nor should he add more than 13, corresponding to the seven heavens and the six air spaces between them. So there's that. So Korak means bald or frost, snow, son of Yitzar, which is he will be ripe and produce oil. And son of Kahat, which is obedience, gathering, and congregation. Son of Labi, the joiner. So he corrupted all of these names to bring together his 250. He gathered people, all right. He had a congregation of obedience, all right. Obedience to what? Disobedience. And then the oil that was produced from this Later, Korok's lineage houses Shamuel, who was the one who carried the oil to anoint the king of Israel. But Korok himself being the snow, also being the word for bald, you have this joiner of an obedient congregation who carries oil, and then there's a dropout with Korok, and then later on we find Shamuel. So everything kind of went dormant or hidden, if you will, in this lineage. But greatness still came forth. But Korak, instead of being like the, the Shemitah or the Yovel, like, in other words, allowing himself to be made bare, laying down his life, you know, willing to make himself nothing so that everything can come from him, which is what the land does, by the way. We don't we don't plow, we don't farm, you know, harvest during these years of Smita and Yovel. But because we let the land lay fallow and we are obedient to Hashem's commandment, he's like, Now watch what's gonna happen because of this. And so Korak was refusing to allow quote unquote greatness to pass him over because he wanted it now. He didn't want to step back. He didn't want to be at the foot of Hashem's throne. He didn't want to just be near Hashem. He was like, I want to be near Hashem. I want to take over for Hashem. I want to be the one who everyone's listening to. I want to run and rule everything. Moshe and Aharon, the way that they're doing things, the Torah that they're bringing down, we don't want any of that. Let's do it like this. 
So, uh, these are just a few things that I wanted to share that I did not get a chance to share on the Aliyah, and there's also way more stuff. But again, not having enough time to share everything, but Baruch Hashem for being out of time, but not out of content. And may Hashem bless you, and thank you for joining me today. This is uh, the Left Behind of uh, Parsha Korak, uh, the Aliyah Day portion of some of the insights that I did not get to. And may Hashem grant each of us insight, seeing inside of us, and may He give us the strength and the will to transform, renew, refine, grow, and mature. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, ki lishuateka kiviti Hashem, hakadosh baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechae olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah.